Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Good morning. It's Thursday, April 25th. This is the main course OG. I am Emily Pearson, and I'm here in studio with my co-host, Patrick Martins. Thanks for having me. And I have another co-host here. His name is Max Martins. Can we get a hello, Max? Hi. Hi. Good morning. That was Max Martins. Spring break here in New York. So we have uh, our guest for the Weekly Grill, our Aaron Oster, uh, the co-founder and chef of AOK Berkshire Barbecue in North Adams, Massachusetts, and uh, a former chef here in New York with a pretty great track record. Cesare Casella, Il Buco Alimentari, you were a baker for a bit, turned barbecue (laughs) master. Is that right? Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming on. One of our best (laughs) listeners. We also have Chef Justin Kingsley Hall of the forthcoming Main Street Provisions in the Arts District in Las Vegas and uh, former chef at the Kitchen at Atomic where we've worked together and Sparrow and Wolf. And before that, California? Uh, California, Florida. So my pedigree is more muddish. I travel around. <laughs> the bayou. Yeah. We like that. We like that. And we also have calling in uh, our good friend, Eric Koss, publisher of the Alameda Sun. Good morning, Eric. Hi. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Our West Coast panelist. I like it. We're national, baby. Yeah. With you. <laughs> Big time. We like the East Coast, West Coast <laughs> rivalry you. in here with a little bit of, you know, Vegas and the Berkshires. Do you always middle. get up this early, Eric? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I love you guys. Actually, I, I always like to point out that I grew up over there. I'm a native New Jerseyan. So, so the time change some, uh, hasn't kicked in yet. But <laughs> yeah, also the right. other I'm thing still, is uh, yeah. everyone wakes up early in California at like 6 o'clock, it seems, and then has dinner at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It just seems a little bit that way. Like we're right, we do yoga on the beach in the morning and, you know, all that kind of thing. We're skipping over Las Vegas when we make that statement. We know that you're all sleeping still at 10 a.m. and yeah. dinner, you know, last call is at 1 a.m. And I just mean San Francisco, actually, yeah. All right. We, we will try not to offend. By the way, Joe Biden announced he's running today. Oh, yeah? I just got six Instagrams from him in a row. From him? Direct messages? Yeah. He let direct. you know? Is he going to buy Pat- shanks? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Exactly. Hmm. All right, we You're are going. We're going to uh, jump right into our segment, the the <laughs> weekly based. Um, first topic today, we are talking a little bit of diets here. Carlo Petrini, the founder of Slow Food, said Americans spend more time and money on dieting than on eating. I'm going to out him right now. Patrick's on the cleanse. Yeah, I'm on the the master cleanse, the maple syrup, lemon, cayenne, pepper, and water. <laughs> and then you can get you can look forward to an herbal laxative tea at the end of the day. But uh, that I, I, I find the cleanse okay. That makes sense to me. That's about cleaning your insides. I mean, my, I have an occupational hazard of going out all the time, eating, trying things, meats, cured meats. So I think cleanses are cool. And if you can lose weight, it's fortunate. Dieting, I, I've never think that works. And that kind of bothers me. But a cleanse, I kind of am okay with that. Is there a difference? I don't know, oh, man. Well, I think you're right hmm. about the cleanse, like scrubbing the inside of your body out and trying to wring out all the years of abuse. Yeah. But diet is like, 
it's a little bit more restrictive, right? It's more of a... I think it's a complete lifestyle like a, like change. A li- lifestyle this is change. just like well, a shock for a few days. I think that's the problem is diet is not a complete lifestyle change. It's like a temporary fix. You know, you're like, I don't feel good about my body. I want to lose weight, do this. And then, so you go on this diet and then at some point you're getting off of it and then you're like, well, the weight came back. And it's like, well, you've got no like steady idea of what your lifestyle is going to be. And I think that's where most people trip up. You know, is trying to figure out that long-term fix instead of like, you know, just trying to lose the pounds and then they're going to magically stay off once I start eating bread again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh-huh. You need to stay on that laxative tea and maple syrup program <laughs> forever, forever now. That or why not just like weave in some form of it? I think everything has to be, you know, it has to be sustainable. It, it can't just be short term. Well, that's the thing. I go to my doctor. I'm like, well, can I eat? How many times can I eat hamburgers? And they're like, that's <laughs> not the point. You have to lead a healthy, balanced lifestyle. And that's hard. And I think most people in America, especially, are like, go all out on the chips and the pretzels, pizzas, and then they're like, now I got to fix it, but I can still eat pizza twice a week, and that's not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to eat salad most of the time and lighter things. So. I like the cheat day idea, though. I think there's something like healthy, like mentally about that, that if you you know kind of have a good routine and you're not cutting, cutting anything out completely, but maybe you have one day... I don't know. Mm-hmm. Do people go to Vegas for the weekend and it's I all mean, just a cheat weekend? <laughs> yeah, cheat week? Vegas is the cheat kind of <laughs> situation. George uh, Burns lived to be 105, you know, with his cigars, mm-hmm. and he always claimed he ate beet juice only on Sundays. That that <laughs> seems to me the best thing. You go, you live your life. If <laughs> you go like out, cleanse. you drink, you do your thing. But on one day a week, you're just, I'm only drinking beet juice. Well, I think like it's weird because we're all... <laughs> We all try to like do the same thing together. Like, hey, this is the best way to eat. This is the best idea. But re- reality is, is, like, our bodies are all different. We're all, you know, better suited for a certain meal plan or, or something. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, I've known people that live to be 100 off of greens, and some mm-hmm. people live to be 100 off of pork belly. That's amazing. Well, that gets us into our next question. All right. Is there one ingredient you worry your child will hate? What I mean is, if this child did not like, this particular item, you might think that you were not the father. Like, it's so wrapped into your DNA, they're coming out and this child must, must this, love this food. This isn't like foods you love. This is like real DNA, something that goes back 10,000 years. Well, it's got to be tomato sauce for me. You know, if you're, if you got like any Italian in your blood these days, I think it's partially made up of tomato sauce. Uh, for me, if there isn't a tomato on a meal, it's kind of like there's something wrong with it. I don't know. Maybe I'm <laughs> So you don't I'm do the too, white pe- uh, the white pizza is like a sin. Well, not I got I like the white pizza too. That's good, you know, every now and then. But yeah, I think balance is very important when you're talking about the diet stuff. You know, you got to ba- uh, balance joy with responsibility. You know, you got to have your kale and you got to have your pizza. And you know, I just I I think uh, keeping it uh, in moderation is always good. Mm-hmm. What but, do you guys uh, do? What do you guys? Where are you from originally? Like your family. I mean, I'm Russian-Hungarian Jew, so... Cabbage? Yeah, a lot of cabbage. I mean, if, if, if it makes you smell or it smells up the house, that's, like, pretty critical. Potatoes, onions, I love cabbage. cabbage. Yeah, yeah, same. So Russian. there's a concern, though, if, if, if your future child, you know, did not like cabbage, not yours? I, you know, th- this the question is... Uh, this uh, this question was, was posed via email uh, a day ago, and I looked at it, and I thought to myself, I, I don't know if I would... If I would make a big deal about it, I think if 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 my future child didn't like eating in general, that would be a bigger thing. You know, like parents who have kids who are just like, listen, I'm eating. The kids are making their food decisions. I think that that's 
ridiculous because I grew up in a house where they've put food in front of us, and we that was that was what was to eat. You know, <laughs> yeah. Right. And a lot of chef friends I know that's that's how they treat their kids. Mm-hmm. They just take them out to food, and there's not really it's not negative. It's just like, hey, we're gonna eat this today. You know, and a lot of it smells right. weird to kids, but I, I think I, it's uh, me as a dad. I've got a two and a half year old son, Kingsley, who actually a lot of people. <laughs> watch him on Instagram because uh, I got so sick of posting pictures all the time. They're like, post more pictures of him that I made him his own Instagram eating with Kingsley. <laughs> um, and it's funny, he has like 500 followers oh that just God, watch him so eating around Vegas. Oh, wow. Um, but, you know, I was trying to figure out that like balance where it's like I grew up and I remember, you know, my dad trying to force me to eat broccoli and he gave me a decision. He was like, you either eat the broccoli or you go up and get your ass kicked. And I was like Jeez. five years old, and I walked upstairs, and my dad's like, where are you going? My mom's like, you looked right at him and said, uh, going for a spanking. <laughs> and he tried not to laugh, and he sat there, and I went upstairs. But uh, it was this constant battle, and I, I didn't want my son to have that same fear of like what's on the table. So um, he started eating solid foods around eight months, uh, and I just put him in the basket, and we'd ride through Whole Foods, and I'd pluck a radish off, uh, you know, different things all the time and he would just start going through shoplifting cool yeah pretty much <laughs> um, but it, it was amazing to kind of see him just kind of like pick everything so you know we'd go out to uh, some of the fine dining restaurants Bardot and Harvest and stuff and all the chefs know him because he'll you know we just put stuff in front there's no kids menu for him there's no it's just this is what but today if you don't want it you know some days he's vegan and he's others. the he's the newest restaurant critic. Yeah. It sounds like of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know, you put it in front of him, and he either gives it uh, the thumbs up or is like, eh, oh, he's... I'm done. Well, this question we should reask because you know DNA. Uh, I think DNA and me or whatever twenty three and me, me sponsored the radio, which I was like amazing. That how did you cross over into that demographic of of these people who want to learn their genes? And it's because they think food is a big part of the history. Yeah. So if I was sick, I would. Part of me says I should go back to only eating cabbage and that maybe my body is, you know, clamoring for its genetic predisposed foods uh, versus not being the father or whatever. Because it is interesting. I mean, most people don't really think, oh, where are my ancestors from and what foods are from there? And do I eat any of that food? Because if you don't, then you're kind of it's like a schism. A lot of the foods from at least my family's lineage is made for old people or babies anyway (laughs) you know like matzo balls and and like potatoes and onions and cabbage you know Mm -hmm. it's easy to chew that's that's the idea and russian doesn't really have that amazing a cuisine only because of how cold it is there like there's not very many russian restaurants there's the russian tea room here and pelmeni maybe the dumpling is some word that people have heard but there's not like a hundred Russian restaurants. No, there, well, there we is... also associate them with vodka. <laughs> I don't right, think right, we right. associate Which them with Which is a the tasteless food. drink. Vodka and caviar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's a place that just closed on 6th Avenue. It's spelled One Gin, but it's pronounced Onegin. And oh. it's, you go for these like huge parties, but they, they take the cuisine of other cultures. Like they're really yeah. big into sushi and it's anything that's like big and platters and plentiful and then vodka and caviar. Max, what's your least favorite food? The food you hate the most in the whole world? Um... I think it is caviar. 
Caviar. Oh <laughs> All right. Well, that's a little anti-Russian, but that's cool. Wow. I'm still your dad. And on I the flip side, you. it's his sister's favorite food. Yes, exactly. At the moment. I think that would that would hurt my heart if my son was like, no caviar for me. <laughs> that's a good answer. Hey, but it helped. It's, it oh. makes life some, cheaper. It saves you some money for sure. So Aaron's a pretty regular listener, and I know he's been anxiously awaiting the chance to answer this particular question. Our favorite duchess, Meghan Markle, is due to give birth in a few days. She has asked you, Justin and Aaron and Patrick and Max, to create a single bite to celebrate the birth. What do you advise? Do you innovate or do you do a classic? All right, so Max, what's your favorite food of all time? Single favorite food. Um, I think my favorite food is ice cream and candy. All right, well, there's from Max. Meghan Markle should serve people ice cream and candy. Maybe like an ice cream sundae bar. You top your ice cream with candy. That's a good idea. Yeah. Mine for English people, I would still go with, uh, yeah, I would go actually, no offense, Max, caviar. A little thing of caviar. What a nice gift that would be for the English people to celebrate the birth of their future prince. Nothing to do with eggs, right? Yes, and eggs, yeah. <laughs> what uh, is your the best bite? So I, I was thinking here while I was coming back to New York City, like what is the what is the quintessential thing? And it's uh, it's a bacon, egg, and cheese on a... On a toast, on a sesame seed Kaiser roll. Yeah, Kaiser. Uh, yeah, man. Like, That's a New York thing, right? You can yeah. go to other places and say bacon and egg and cheese on yeah. a roll, and they're like, "What is that?" I'm like, "Really? You're asking <laughs> what is a that?" A Kaiser roll is very New York, and then some places they call Portuguese it's rolls. True. Are they the same? Portuguese rolls have potato, or are more potato based, I think. Yeah, um, they're a little flatter and less crustier. I think yeah. the, the Portuguese one. No way, man. That. that that Kaiser roll with poppy seeds, even just a roll with butter. That's just like, you got to get that Kaiser roll. I th- I'm going to go with Kaiser roll. And the just buttered the roll is, it's not a great bread in particular, but something about it for breakfast, a buttered roll is very New York. Every yeah. stand, uh, you yep. know, one of those mobile stands across the city, thousands of them are sold a day. What yeah. were you going to say? Can I just Eric? tell you, like, it is so, it was so hard for me to give those up moving to California. <laughs> like, the, the Kaiser roll and the breakfast sandwich sold just about everywhere in every gas station, every 7 Eleven and Wawa and whatever. <laughs> uh, we don't have that out here. I know. Why? Why? What do you do then? What's know. your substitute? They're broken. Fruit? They don't have, a, they don't have diners. Lettuce. They don't have a lot of uh, <laughs> stuff I got, you know, totally reliant on on the East Coast. I love diners. I mean, Mike's famous line about a diner is he'll walk out of the table if someone asks for a menu because he's like, you need a menu at a diner? You can order whatever you want. I think it's still funny that the menus at diners are still like 25 pages long. Pages long, long, all greasy and plastic, cryovac. You know, there's still spaghetti and like, uh, there's like weird tuna fish casserole in there, but people are ordering the same. A lobster. (laughs) Terrible They're ordering the same four things every time they go there. So yeah, there is a loss of that. So you don't really have a diner culture or a breaded Mm. roll, uh, buttered roll? Not the... not the 24-hour diner culture. I mean, there's there's places that do that kind of menu, but uh, they close at like two. And so if you're out late or you know you're you got the late shift or something like that, you're kind of you got slim pickings. It's, you don't have a slice place either. Uh, slice pizza, right? No. Yeah, it's really hard to find a slice place. There's one place uh, here in Alameda. They call themselves New York Pizza, oh, and they God. sell it by the slice. You know, so that that's the style. New I can't style. believe there's like a New York carpets. I'm like, does that help you in Wichita? <laughs> you know, to call it New York carpets. See, I feel growing up in California, and actually uh, part of my life growing up in Alameda, Oakland, because my mom was born there. Um, oh. Yeah, we we don't have that. 24-hour kind of like Waffle House 
diner experience right. that I, I had when I yeah. lived in the South in North Carolina and Florida. Um, yeah. But, you know, we replace it with certain things like the little, you know, smoked fish taco shops or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Chinese food, I feel. It's like, it's what's, like the our late diner. Night, what's the late night food in Vegas? The late night food in Vegas? I mean, this is anything, it's what right? you want to be. Uh, <laughs> Five course meal. I, I love the fact that in Vegas that I can have a, a normal dinner. Um, so, you know, if I get off work at 2 a.m., I run down to Herbs and Rye and, um, you know, I can have a steak and mushrooms, a Caesar salad. Uh, so that's that for me is kind of the late night food scene there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Max, we wrote this question with you in mind. What's our next question? <laughs> we're going to play Fuck, Mary Kill. <laughs> Since I've got a lot of... Uh... Fuck, Mary Kill. It's a game. <laughs> it's not a person's yeah. name. <laughs> anyway, since we are uh, a meat-heavy bunch in here, we have chosen short rib, ribeye, brisket. I've given it some thought, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, ribeye is going to be a little bit too tough uh, to, to fucks. And, uh, you know, sh- short ribs you're going to spend some uh, time with. you got to kind of commit to them and, like, get your hands all dirty, put the work in. And, you know, brisket is nice and soft and easy and, you know, just seems like it would be a nice... Nice fuck. I agree. Oh, and that's like, okay, wow, wow. I think I my jeans just got tighter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I was really with the brisket being like the, the dependable one, the one you marry, the one that maybe feeds a, uh, a larger group. Well, as a Jew, that's a good one to, to pick. Yeah, I, that's where I was going. I, I was going to go with, uh, with, uh, with uh, fuck the short rib, marry the brisket, and kill the ribeye. I just just killed a ribeye. It's just such a waste. People believe that that is. I mean, running a running that butcher shop in Vegas was was the most difficult thing to sort of change people's minds and be like, listen, they come in and they're like, I want a fillet or I want a twenty ounce ribeye. It's like, no, no you don't. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk more about the whole picture here. Who are you feeding? Where are you feeding them? Do you like these people? You really want to spend eight dollars to to feed them? <laughs> There's a ton of gristle on that. There's a lot of intramuscular uh, fat. There's a lot of silver skin on the inside of that ribeye that you're not going to clean. Yeah, man. Adios. Say goodnight, ribeye. Justin, where are you at on this one? You know, I I was looking at this for the past like little bit while we're here, and you know, I have to agree on that uh, that fuck on the brisket, Uh, mainly because you know, (laughs) and Aaron, don't lie. You know, when you take this thing out of the packaging and you get it all dried off, you give it a slap. Yeah, but you give that thing a good slap on the ass. Yeah, but she's a, she's a dependable old lady. She's been with you for True, a long but see, time. Much <laughs> much like my wife, I feel like we merged the two. It is my fucking Mary. <laughs> oh my god! Well, you were saying earlier that there is almost a guilt about brisket at one yeah. of these famous barbecue places because they just go through so much. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, a hundred briskets a day, or what are you going through? A hundred briskets a week at your place? Yeah. Do yeah. you feel guilt for hurting the environment by? fucking so many cuts and serving them <laughs> i mean i there is a part of me that says like is is our community i mean we're in a small rural town that right. i mean the other option for barbecue is you know a rack of ribs for a half rack of ribs for seven dollars right, right? And, Applebee's and, and, and pulled pork right. and we're trying to we're not trying to elevate the game so much to say that we're changing the world but we're trying to say look you're spending Spend 20% or 15% more than you're going to spend at McDonald's or Wendy's with us, and we're going to give you a meal that you're going to remember with freshly baked bread and all right. that stuff. But, you know, like this guy in Texas that we were talking about, 
15,000 head of cattle a year are being processed just for his, just for one dish. And, you know, yeah, there's burger joints that are taking the rest of that animal, and there's other restaurants that are taking those ribeyes. But, I mean, in the end, we really have to move, I mean, we really have to move towards whole animal stuff. Mm-hmm. We started selling uh, a smoked chuck rib last week, a uh, chuck roll, a boneless chuck roll, and we're going to start selling clawed as well, too. And that we called it the Hot Charlie, and it just sold like crazy. Good Can name, we, it sells. That's huh? what I was going to yeah. say. It's like yeah. good name. Maybe you change where the positioning is on the menu. Do you run it, you know, for just as a special? Like yeah. things get people excited. What is a Hot Charlie? It's a 14 it's a hour slow smoked uh, chuck roast served on toasted ciabatta with horseradish cream and pickles. Mm. Very nice. That's good. From the the one not eating over there and the one keeping Passover. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're a mom and matzo. <laughs> so you're a mom and pop shop, right? Yep, that's right. So uh, do you support? Do you make it a point to only support mom and pop shops? Yeah. You know, I asked that for you there and in Vegas and in California, and sometimes you have to go to Staples, right? Or but, sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, in North Adams, uh, where we are, there's. Um, there's a growing community of smaller shops that are providing more services, local printers that do stuff. We don't go to Staples for that stuff. But, you know, the truth is, is that those other businesses, if we, like, we're a small business too, and so we have to maintain our overhead. So sometimes I go, you know, we go on Amazon or Webstaurant, but when we can support local businesses, we do. Mm-hmm. The problem is with proteins and stuff like that, in that conversation, it's really challenging. Right, especially with large volume. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. A lot of these slow mom and pop businesses have not grown to the point where they can supply yeah. the amounts that certain restaurant groups need or yeah. whatever. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I live right. in a neighborhood in Brooklyn where I, especially on the weekends, I in Cobble Hill, I definitely try to support local and I definitely do my shopping with specific things coming from specific spots. So, you know, whether it's Sahadi's or mm. um, like my husband really likes all the Italian bakeries that are in Cobble Hill, you know, the ones that are cash only where I'm like, oh, I hope I have at least $10 in my wallet because I want the the lard bread and a coffee right. and cookies and then I have to, you know, ration if I'm like, oh, just the lard bread. That's all <laughs> I'll take this week. But no, it's, I think, it's important to to embrace a neighborhood. I mean, what does that mean in Vegas? Like, are there mom and pop shops? There's definitely um, there's definitely mom and pop shops. There's definitely a movement to do more. You know, off strip um, that is locally based. Our own creation of our own cuisine uh, and style of doing things. Um, and I try my best to support you know mom and pops, those single you know owner operators. Um, you know, but for a long time, it's been hard because the quality just hasn't been there. And, you know, whether you're running a business or doing a lot of other things, you know, you can't just throw your money away just to support something. You have to push them to do better. You know, yeah, small and, farm doesn't mean better product necessarily. It yeah. can, but it doesn't necessarily. There's some shitty small farms out there, too. Well, yeah. like, you know, last night at the James Beard House, we were using Cape Grim beef out of Tasmania. And I, I use it in Vegas a lot. And someone asked me, and they're like, well, I thought you were Mr. Local and, you know, and all this stuff and supporting, you know, what's here. And I was like, well, yeah, of course. I was like, but the quality isn't there, you know, and I'm trying to give my guests the best experience possible. I was like, I'm then going to check down the list of like who's doing the right thing and being able to go out there and see the, the move towards a zero carbon footprint and what these ranchers were doing um, for a product that's night and day compared to what was being offered to me. I mean, you know, you have a lot of grass-fed, grass-finished beef around that area of uh, of the country in Nevada, but the cattle are being raised on sagebrush, you know, and that's, like, the difference between that and 
what I'm getting is somebody eating Kraft mac and cheese and somebody meeting, you know, an artisan mac and cheese with real cream and milk. And you agree, chef? Yeah, totally. I mean, we 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 looked at a lot of local farmers in uh, in New England, Northeast, for beef, but uh, either we couldn't financially support the delivery because we didn't have a way to get the meat from the processing facility back to us because there's a lack of processing facilities or just the basic raw cost was just too much or they weren't even processing enough i mean 40 briskets a week is a is uh you know is, is what we're selling right now and that's 20 head of cattle and nobody processes more than five yeah you know a week and that's just we could say all right we'll just sell more other items but we we've only been open six months and we really feel a responsibility to be accessible you know, it's a it's a community with a median income of you know between like twenty five and twenty seven thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. No one's going to pay forty forty dollars a pound for mm-hmm. smoked meats. And also consistency, because those guys have to pull together so many cows. You're not totally. getting the same breed, same age, same size. It's just coming from a consortium that's like loosely connected. Yeah, you know, and there are people who are doing great stuff. New England Family Farms has been doing a really great job creating a sort of co op for local beef and and lamb, and that's great for us. But they're not there yet, mm-hmm. and they don't have the numbers yet to support the volume of some bigger restaurants. Cows are tough, man. Yeah. Like in France, you don't see, I mean, a lot of people were lamb, chicken, duck, goose, you know, smaller animals. The cow, I mean, it lives forever. Then it only produces one baby at a time, and yeah. you got to raise it, and then you got to keep the breeders back. I mean, it's hard to operate a large cow farm. There's plenty, there's plenty of pork and chickens and, yeah. and, and goats and lamb and rabbits to go around Mm -hmm. but beef is you know beef's our bread and butter so we always talk about like the baby back rib industry and how we just like cannot understand i mean are they baby backs yeah are they really baby backs (laughs) are people just splitting the saint louis and calling them baby backs like what is that if you overthink that the whole market for the baby back ribs and like what's going on with the rest of that pig i'm just like oh we, we call them our st louis ribs baby backed ribs because <laughs> max and josie support them there's a stamp on the box yeah, yeah. <laughs> babies support it well um all right well, mom and pop shops alameda sun i mean tell yeah. us i mean it well, must be a big thing I- for you I mean, it, it is. It's our whole bread and butter. Uh, no pun intended. Or do whatever. you have a but, uh, business I mean, section, like where oh, you we, support? We are, I mean, w- it's all we do is promote local businesses here in Alameda. There's a pretty strong small business community. Uh, a bunch of small local businesses. We actually have a restaurant called Mama Papa Lithuania that serves uh, <laughs> Lithuanian food. Um, we've by got uh, Cambodian, <laughs> all kinds of uh, interesting ethnic ethnic foods. But um, I think, you know, it's almost, we're almost completely supported by small businesses. We are a small business, and we support small businesses in return. So it's like a, a full circle. Mm-hmm. The money just keeps going around in a little circle here on the island. <laughs> and are your advertisers mom-and-pop businesses? Uh, yeah, the vast majority are, yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's, well, that's funny that you say that about how the money just keeps going around. I, I was thinking about that the other day, how, uh, you know, we have a we have a local tattoo shop in our town, and we're doing their one year anniversary uh, on Saturday. And it's like you know we give them money, they give us money. Then we advertise with a local newspaper, or we adver- or we go buy signs to get printed from a local print shop, and then they give us money to buy food, and then that money from the food. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. great to see how a small community works. And I was talking mm-hmm. about this this weekend. I, I don't know how long these big biz- these big restaurant groups have got left. 
to really build a small localized food community. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to say quick QSRs, like quick service restaurants are the future, but man, like building small businesses in rural communities, like food businesses, that's, people are willing to travel for food, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like Emily drove four hours to go eat some barbecue and see some art. Like people aren't afraid to get in the car. It was and less somewhere. than that. We're, we're come on, New Yorkers getting to hours. Berkshire's yeah. is it was pretty easy. And I stopped at a, a local mom and pop uh, coffee shop along the way in Troy, New York, because oh, yeah. I let Aaron uh, plan my whole route for me. Oh, nice. What's that yeah. called in Troy? Superior Merchandise Company. Those guys are awesome. So you can plan the trip from New York to the Berkshires. Easy yes. man. Oh, yeah. cool. And <laughs> he'll and stops? he'll plan some stops for the He's kids like, big along the way. Bladder or small bladder? You're like small <laughs> bladder tour, please. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's actually a great idea. We should create a we should create a map. You know, Tony Scotto just opened up in Nyack, uh, yeah. the drop pastas that bomb place, and man. Well, those are the green highways, right? I mean, truckers always used to take yeah. the smaller highways, and now they have to take all the big highways. And so the mom and pop shops on the smaller ones. Like if you see uh, Smokey and the Bandit, those yeah. are he's never on a big highway. Yeah, well, that was that was my upbringing. My dad was a uh, commercial trucker for most of my life, and I spent summers uh, driving with him. Um, but that was always the thing. It was like some little back road. And, uh, when I moved to Florida, we got stuck on a highway and got washed out and I saw the trucks moving and I, I drove off this little road. My girlfriend's like, where are you going? I was like, you just follow the trucks. <laughs> I was like, they're going to take you where you need to go. And there's probably gonna be something interesting to eat along the way. <laughs> In New Yorkers that grow up following cabs, when you're trying to get back from the airport, you're like, follow the yellow cabs. Yeah. And these days only the yellow cabs, because everyone else is looking at their GPS, which is taking them all the same exact <laughs> well, that way. Was, I mean, that was something that my dad really, really put into my sister and I was like uh, reading maps on the road and like knowing what the lines in the road mean like a double yellow will take you to a main mm. a main road a single yellow will take you to a double yellow oh I do not know that so like if you're ever lost somewhere and you see a double yellow line either drive to the end of it or keep going because it's going to take you to a main intersection or a route mm. and we're right on route two and and that's like straight from Albany to Boston oh really that route. that's an Albany Boston route yeah. Cool. Well, you know, you guys are, are talking about like rural things, but there's also these places they call food deserts sometimes in cities, like urban areas where, you know, sort of like the poor neighborhoods are underserved and people have to leave there just to get their basic groceries and food. Um, like in East Oakland or other, you know, rough parts of town, people are afraid to open small businesses. Wow. So that's, I mean, that's those, Las Vegas. People have to travel. Same in Las yeah. Vegas. Well, yeah, I mean, we have so many communities that people's only access to you know what you call vegetables and everything is the cans at the 99 cent store and you know talking about where they're traveling and that's you know just their their option um but luckily we've had these local farms which people don't think of farming when they think of the desert in vegas but you have people like desert bloom um you know trying these csas trying to get more out to people and offer drops so they have a a better access to fresh vegetables Mm -hmm. um but I mean, it's, you know, an area that's considered a food city and there's all this abundance of wealth and ingredients, um, but it's been focused for so long right on the strip. And now these chefs are escaping to the neighborhoods and, and serving more things. Well, let's talk about that. The other side of this conversation, Starbucks. What's your, uh, I heard uh, there's one Starbucks for every 5,100 people in Las Vegas. So, Mazel Tov, congratulations on that. Speaking what? of your food deserts, I think we're all the, the fast food is where the Starbucks are, too. Starbucks is a sign of quality, though. Like, there's one that opened in my mm. day. Like, often, 
Uh, I don't know. Like I, Nostrand Avenue one opened, and I and I thought that was good for Nostrand Avenue. I didn't think it was bad for Nostrand Avenue. And yet, if one opens here, I'd be like, "This is outrageous." I don't. So I don't know. It's well, you know the one bad. that opened in so there's there's two Starbucks here in Williamsburg, and there's one on like the main stretch that's totally gentrified off Bedford. But there's one that opened on uh, on Union, and it opened literally under like the cloak of darkness. They mm. kept all the windows covered. They kept the whole thing because you thought people would be mad. They, thought, they thought that the neighborhood was going to go ballistic. Oh. So they did the whole construction with everything covered. There were like a few little rumors, but almost nothing mm. was written about. This was three or four years ago. And then one day it just opened. And so they couldn't have the backlash. They right. just immediately, you know, there but were people that were happy. I like that they charge $6 for coffee. I mean, I think that's cool that they showed that something should cost that much. It probably helped Heritage Foods in a way to say our, our meat costs $10 a pound. So you can eat for... Twite for two coffees, basically, or two whatever macchiatos or fancy coffees. But what, what's your stance on coffee culture in Starbucks? Well, I, you know, I was married to a woman who was the East Coast retail manager for Blue Bottle, mm-hmm. uh, and Alex, when she, I mean, she's she's Australian, so coffee is is different in Australia. You can go to Seven Eleven and get a delicious cappuccino. Uh, coffee's everywhere, and it's a part of daily life. Starbucks here, it, it created a commercial opportunity to make coffee and yes charge more for it but it's not like a macchiato at, at starbucks it's not a mark it's not a macchiato that we would know of or anybody who drinks coffee in a regular italian style coffee would, would know it I, I don't know i lived in martha's vineyard where they were adamant about no starbucks no mcdonald's no none of that stuff and i don't know if uh i don't know i don't really like the coffee and I don't know. I mean, I'm glad that their business is successful. I'm glad that they've relaunched their their Starbucks Star, you know, shops that are a little bit more customized and a little bit more focused on barista, you know, technique. And I know that they opened up that huge store in Seattle. That's and in Milan, though. Yeah. And, and we have one here. Yeah, it just opened uh, over by Google and Chelsea Market. And you like it? You I, walk by and say, I, I like it. I don't know. I think that it's uh, it's shiny. It's fun. There's little like nooks. They have a full service bar. They have they partnered with a a bakery from Milan that's doing pizza in the back. Like they definitely the the concept is there and they they designed it properly. And it also isn't just enough of that like glitzy Times Square that it gets tourists in the door. But I think it it offers something to the neighborhood also. Well, I mean, you well, know, nothing. To- in Starbucks, you know, it's, I don't think it's the greatest coffee by any means, uh, and nope. it's not the macchiato that you would think of in, in other countries and areas. Um, but you know, they offer something that people are comfortable with. They can they can relate to if they go somewhere and there's not these options. You know, they they have something dependable to look at. And you know, all these big businesses are not evil for the fact that, like, no. thankfully they have the money to come in and renovate and and help build up certain neighborhoods yeah, success um, is not a, yeah. a bad thing but it's you know that balance of not choking out the little guys and, and allowing them space to to get sure. their feet under them um it's very true actually a uh, cool story from out here in oakland california um the uh, uh there's a, a nice row of shops on piedmont avenue here and there was a big community outrage when starbucks opened up there directly next door to a favorite mom and pop local coffee shop called, wait for it, Gaylords. <laughs> and that place uh, is still there doing very well. 
and Starbucks is there next door, and they both uh, operate side-by-side side with their own clientele. It's wow. kind of amazing. I mean, we, we can't be afraid of competition. We have to evolve with it. We have to see the challenges. And, you know, if you have a, if you have a better product than Starbucks, then people are going to know. If you don't, then you need to fucking work harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, right. I, I agree. I, I like the idea that, you know, if I hope more people open barbecue restaurants in North Adams. I hope that they do it. But in a community like New York City, like nobody cares. There's Starbucks on four four corners of a block. Mm-hmm. Like they're competing. They're not competing with themselves the way they are in a smaller community. You know, isn't like, that where you met Dennis? He was sitting in a in a kitty corner <laughs> at Starbucks yeah, across the street. Absolutely, you love that story. Although some people say that, <laughs> Is that true? if you no <laughs> no no no, uh, some people say that there are certain businesses that. Is, are smart to follow. So right. like, you know, Burger King and McDonald's open in the same block because one of them has already done the market research right. to know that they're going to succeed there. <laughs> That's so a if, lazy uh, Yeah, a lazy but man's. you know what? It kind of works. So Name a business yeah. you do love. A like food really. business. So it's not going to be Starbucks for you. No, it's not going to mm. be Starbucks for me. Um, <laughs> food business I love. I, I was thinking about this question. I, I didn't know how to answer it. Um, Heritage Foods was named the number one response to factory farming by the New York Times. You know what know food b- business I really love? Huh. Heritage Foods USA, man. Uh, I mean, you. that company is incredible. Uh, yeah. Shanks. Yep. Yeah, let's p- put me down for that, too. Shanks. <laughs> and Hearst Ranch while we're at it. Hearst Ranch. Yeah. There is an interesting yeah. business. I love their mm-hmm. still. I haven't heard of any of their magazines closing. Everyone's talking about print media is dead. Doesn't Hearst still have like 500 magazines? Oh yeah. yeah, there's still millions and millions of Cosmo. copies being printed. Yeah. Yep. How many? What's your copy rate for the Alameda? Oh, we Sun? we print twenty four thousand free copies every Thursday, so they're they're being distributed out there right now. How many pages? Uh, this week fourteen. Cool. I keep it lean and mean, depending on exactly how many ads I have. That's how many pages I run. So let's talk mentors. Let's go around fast, round robin. We got to go to break in a minute, but mentors? Cesare. Cesare Cazella? That's my guy. Man. Hall of Famer? Totally, From man. HRN? A classic. He's, wow. Yeah, Rosemary himself. What did you learn from uh, him most? The thing I learned the most was that uh, you can't, you can't uh, communicate with the guests uh, if you don't appreciate what you're, where the ingredients are coming from. Cesare was said in his, in his voice, he said, hey, you cannot be a clown if you don't know the whole story. So, you know, he would always, he took us to Italy to see these, uh, these Salumarias and these guys were very friendly, but he said that those guys understand the, the, where the pigs come from. They understand the process of how the product is made. They understand the business that they're running and that allows them to be personable and do that. So don't mm-hmm. pretend to be the, the owner if you don't know what you're doing. That's interesting. Oh man, he took, I mean, he took mine. Yours I worked, is I, well, I mean, if I really, oops, if I really think about it, um, you know, I worked for Cesare for almost three years, Aaron and I did not overlap, although we, we heard our, each other's name quite often. Um, probably more about sort of from the hospitality side of things and how to take care of a customer and sort of this feeling and this experience that you try to achieve um, in everything that you do, in how you put out your food and how you welcome people and how you do business, um, which could mean, you know, talking less, smiling more, you know. But um, Cesare just had this way that made everybody around him feel like, Excited to be part of, of what he was doing. Convivial. Mentor? Uh, you know, nobody's going to know this name really, uh, but it was a boss of mine in Florida, Paul Capsalis. Oh my God, Paul. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, but he, uh, he really forced me when I showed up in his kitchen to, to learn. 
He was like, you seem like you're a smart guy and you want to do things. That means you have to spend time educating yourself. And every day I'd come in the kitchen and he'd say, what's this word mean? What's this cut? What's that? You know, and he'd tell me, you know, always tell me, he's like, I'm going to fire you one day. He's like, because you're not going to be the chef of my restaurant. I'm the chef owner. He's like, so you're going to have to go out and do something one day. So you need to be prepared for that. You're like, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, what what about you? Taken, you are? Is that your is that your mentality uh, now with your with your cooks? Yeah, you're like you're all fired eventually. Uh, no, you know when I when I hire anybody, even a dishwasher, um, I, I always explain to them like, what do you want to do? I was like, if you're just coming here to be a dishwasher, I'm not going to hire you. You need to have goals because people with goals have drive. They have a willingness to learn and be open, and so people are just coming in and be like, ah, you know, I don't really know. It's like, come back to me when you know what you want to do, and you don't have to have like your ten-year plan. But like, do you want to be in this business? Do you want to learn more? How many people work under you guys? Six. You? Uh, right now, zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> New project. Eric, in the who's works. your mentor? Quick, before we go uh, to break. Well, last time we did Hunter S. Thompson, so I might as well throw in William Randolph Hearst, at least in terms of, like, showing me some of the things not to do. Um, but uh, also, like, just exactly how big you can make your media empire if you really want to. There we go. Well, we'll go to break, and we'll come right back and uh, interview our guests. Stick around. We'll Justin be back with uh, Aaron and Justin. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. I'm Serena Snyder, social media director of the documentary film Eating Animals, Eating Animals is an incredible film based on the book by Jonathan Safran Foer and co-produced and narrated by Natalie Portman. It's an urgent, eye-opening look at the economic, environmental, and public health consequences of factory farming. I really love the film because it traces the history of food production in the United States and charts how farming has gone from local and sustainable to a corporate Frankenstein monster. And, you know, we don't like any of that. But instead of being a fear-based documentary, it spotlights the farmers who have pushed back against industrial agriculture with more humane practices. Frank Reese, who is the pioneering heritage turkey farmer in the United States, is featured in the film. He paved the way for heritage turkeys, which he calls standard bread. And he's also in the Heritage Radio Network 10th Anniversary Hall of Fame. So please, if you get a moment, would love if you check out the documentary. And we're back. 
Thanks so much for joining us. You got a little uh, promo about eating animals, f- film with our good friend uh, Frank Reese, our heritage turkey farmer. Uh, we are back in studio here at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm in studio with Patrick, my co-host, and our guests, Justin Kingsley Hall and Aaron Oster. Thanks for being with us, guys. And Eric as our panel. Oh, I'm sorry. And Eric Koss. <laughs> he got too quiet. Eric, be louder. Dialing in. Hey, Dialing guys. in. <laughs> Eric Koss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He needs another shot of espresso. So uh, I wanted to uh, ask you guys a couple questions you about your current... Uh, well, yeah, actually, it's a good transition. So there is a, an upcoming uh, bread-making course. Join the world's leading bakers as they explore the future of artisanal bread uh, making during June 12th to 14th at Johnson and Wales University mm. in with Charlotte. Yeah, but this might be a partnership with Charlotte. Uh, we'll dive deep into the issues, opportunities, and trends shaping the industry over two days of hands-on bread-making workshops. It's a rare opportunity opportunity to uh, to learn about bread baking. HRN will be there. Will you? Uh, check out Johnson and Wales website for more information about the course. And speaking of bread, you mm. guys make all your own bread at AOK Berkshire Barbecue. We do. Yeah, that was kind of the thing about um, this business. Uh, somebody told me that we should open a barbecue place. They kind of put that in our head, my wife and I. And then, of course, we said that was a stupid idea. But then we decided. We thought about it. It was sort of, you know, Eric was talking about food deserts before. You know, there really is a lack of food in the sort of general level of like, okay, well, it's good enough to eat. Alex and I, my wife, Alexandra, uh, she and I thought, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it our way, which means that because there's no barbecue culture in New England, we don't eat cornbread. We'll have baguette. You know, mm-hmm. we'll serve the we'll serve the brioche with the bar, the brisket on a, a brioche bun instead of a Martin's potato bun. You know, we'll uh, we'll serve the chicken sandwich on a toasted ciabatta. You know, Alex is making hot cross buns for Easter. She made, uh, she makes huge loaves of ciabatta. She makes like white chocolate and cranberry uh, brioche. Like she's just doing whatever she wants to do. And mm-hmm. the truth is, is that you know, small communities like that used to have great bakeries, and people are clamoring for it. So baguettes, and I mean, she makes baguettes every week, and she, they're all gone. So it's it's fantastic. It's it, it, it's a nice. And you're challenge. making me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for lunch already. I was talking. No. I was talking about this with uh, with Justin on on the cab right in here this morning. Is that Alex has an innate ability to to bake, and she just sort of like picked it up uh, randomly. She took that French that artisanal bread course at FCI, and uh, mm-hmm. something just clicked with that woman. And it's 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 bonkers. She drove down from North Adams yesterday to bring bread for the James Beard dinner. So. Wow. Maybe everyone needs to take a bread making course and uh, yeah, or just go uh, go check out Alex's bread. So what is that ma- the only rule you've broken in barbecue? The bread? Well, no. I mean, we we try to stick to the um, like we put porchetta on the menu. We 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 don't we don't stick to anything. There's no ribs at the place. There's no pulled pork really. We did it once, maybe twice. Uh, we we don't have seating inside. We don't sell alcohol. Uh, we don't have a place. Uh, like we don't have a ticket system for people. There's no like uh, waiting line. You just show up, you order your food, and then we'll bring it to you. We try to bring that little bit of that, what we're talking about with Cesare. Like that customer service element is really huge for mm-hmm. it. People are remembered. They're regulars. We know their names. We know their orders. We know we have a lot of usual people. So we uh, we just try to keep it keep it as light and fun as possible. You know, I mean, there's not really a lot of rules to be broken, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a Russian Hungarian Jew from Connecticut. My wife's Australian, so. There's no lineage to barbecue. We're just smoking meat for a long time over a whole 
over open fire. That's all it is. So it's not like a North Carolina style or a Texas style. We take a little bit from where we go, uh, from from things we like. Like the brisket is definitely East Texas. Uh, it's just salt and pepper, uh, and and that's it. The chicken is sort of North African, if if anything. It, mm-hmm. Turmeric, uh, fennel seed, uh, coriander, paprika, uh, cayenne, a little bit of um, a little bit of cumin, and that's uh, it's actually like Zuni Cafe, man. Like it's mm. we salt it for two days and then it gets seasoned and then smoked for five hours, and then all the sausages we make because I was a butcher, so we make we make Mexican chorizo, we make breakfast sausages, we make Cumberland sausage, we make uh, cotequino, we make uh, you know whatever we want to do, and mm-hmm. they just get smoked. We made a lamb merguez this week, which was really delicious. Hmm. You know, we don't necessarily, I don't want to say we break rules, but we just don't, we don't have any allegiance to any one style of barbecue. Right. Okay. What about you, steakhouse cool. rules that you've broken? Uh, actually, you know, as far as steakhouse, like, I've never worked in that environment. And what I push now is that, uh, uh, you know, I always say it's kind of modern American food, what I do, which is, I know, uh, just kind of this open-ended question, but it allows me to do whatever I want to do. You know, it's like the neighborhoods I grew up in and where I moved around, you know, it, it never was like one style or, or one group or anything, you know, from the central coast of California to northern California to North Carolina, Tampa. Um, so everything's just kind of a collection of the people I've come across in that mm-hmm. time period. So you have a new place opening. It's called uh, Main Street Provisions. Tell us, tell us about it. What's obviously that's you're going to have an eclectic style. It's what you want to <laughs> cook, but is that is that off the strip? Uh, it is off the strip. It's in the Arts District of uh, downtown Las Vegas. Which in the past few years, whether it be cocktail bars, um, you know, seasonal Italian food has come a long way in the city's put a lot of money into renovating sidewalks and streets and making it more of a walking area. Um, but it's become one of the areas along with Chinatown, um, that you're seeing a lot of people wanting to put money into, to do their own things. Um, in main street provisions, uh, with my boss and owner, Kim Owens, um, you know, it was that opportunity that you don't have to stick to a certain, uh, style of food and, ingredients in that you have to have this on your menu to make everybody happy it was really just uh you know she liked my cooking she's like we we're gonna have 120 seats it's gonna be a little more upscale and uh and from there just kind of do what you want um but it was that chance to you know be seasonal um to bring in things like the heritage foods uh pork which i've used before but other items, the grass-fed meats. Um. We'll look forward to the order then. I know. I was gonna say you heard it. You heard it here, <laughs> Justin Kingsley on Hall the radio. Said, uh, if only we have a listener to be a witness. Yeah, yeah. Where will you open another barbecue place? Any other cities? I mean, it would only be in that place, right? For you? No, I think uh, I don't think there's going to be another barbecue place. I think okay. Alex and I built AOK as a brand, uh, and so we want to open a bakery, uh, okay. AOK AOK Bread, and then we want to open. I mean, I. Alex rolls her eyes uh, very slowly when I say this, but I'd love to open three or four more restaurants. I'd love to open a little fi- uh, wood-fired fish place with a raw bar. I'd love to open a little pasta joint. We'd love. To, we're talking about a ramen joint. Like, just there's so much opportunity, and mm. barbecue is exhausting. Yeah, and, uh, it's honestly, it's you're like the marine of the chef world. Oh man, Aaron's I mean, Aaron sleeps there. Uh, yeah. what is it? You're open Thursday. You're open, open Friday, f- Saturday, Sunday. So you sleep there Thursday Friday, night? Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So I, I'm, I'm getting better at it, but uh, I go to work at about ten, eleven o'clock on Thursday, and I don't leave until Monday afternoon. 
And so I smoke overnight dedication. Uh, it's not dedication; it's stupidity. Uh, you know, it's just like, you fear know. of fire. Yeah, I mean, we're in a heritage-listed building on uh, an old mill on the campus of the largest contemporary art museum in the country. So, like, I am—we're careful about lighting a fire inside of one of those buildings. But man, I'll tell you, I love the barbecue concept. There's a lot of money to be made in the sense that our overheads relatively low and the food cost is good. But there's more there's more opportunity in North Adams and in that small community and within like a 20 mile radius that people are dying for. There's just no, there's no other, hmm. there's no other way around it. Very so. cool. I, I, I can't believe people turn on their ovens and leave the house. I mean, it just, even though they're like, it's fine. I'm like, is it? Oh, my is wife had to get used to that <laughs> making stocks and different things. She's like, we're just going to leave. I'm like, yeah, there's fire. It's on. <laughs> things are boiling. Anyway. Well, um, Thank you, guys, for being on, coming all the way over here. Congratulations on your James Beard Award. Oh, no. Uh, I mean, James Beard... Uh, dinner, dinner. Dinner. From your lips, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we live we, up to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're foreshadowing. This yeah. time next year, we're going to see you guys back. Someone's going to have a, a book up for nomination and, a, hey, and, a, and an award. You, if the James Beard Association begins to put together a list of small businesses in rural communities, man, that would really be a great change. I think it just... doesn't need to be James Beard. It needs to be a not pay for play group. Pay for play instantly discredits that entire operation. And plus, they had all their corruption things. A real group needs to start a kind of Zagat Guide for Sustainable Businesses, and chefs need there to is, rate the other chefs. There is one, Patrick. It's, HRN? No. <laughs> I want it to be. Well, do you know, um, it's it's called a, oh man, it's going to kill me. It's I think it's called a Forks and, uh, it's, a, it's a guidebook. Forks and Dives? No, man, I, I'm going to find it. Um, my wife, uh, our friend Mindy Fox is one of the editors. For oh, it. yeah, she used to be with Sever, right? No, she was with uh, La Cucina Italiana. Oh, she right, was a food right, editor. Right, right. And it's all about sustainable restaurants. And it's mm-hmm. a full guidebook that's based on you need to have a certain element of you know, compostability, of sustainability. You need to make sure that you're responsible with your employees. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible book. And it's international, too. It's not just awesome. in, in the U.S. I'll send you the name of it. Thank you. Thank you, yeah, chefs. We'll follow up with Thanks, that. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Thank you Eric. guys for being here with us. And, Thanks, uh, Max in studio. Our pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll be back next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye, guys. Cool. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.